as rough as the uh, 30 months or so of the COVID that does not seem to end has been, it's nothing at all like the struggle the man in the Christ encounter we're going to talk about today endured, and those like him, those afflicted with what he was afflicted by. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be together today, Mark 1. 39 through 45 is the passage that we're going to focus in on in this next Christ encounter. Mark 1, 39 through 40 says this, He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy, the most feared most horrible disease of that day, of that time. A man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Leprosy was one of the most terrible diseases of the ancient world. It's still around in mostly third world countries today, but even then, It's nothing like what it used to be, nothing like at the time of Jesus and even before his earthly ministry in the ancient world. Leprosy was one of the most terrible things that could ever befall anyone. It began as small red spots on the skin. Then they got bigger and started to turn white, and the spots soon spread all over the body. And hair began to fall out, first from the head and then even from the eyebrows. And as things got worse, fingernails and toenails started falling off, followed by fingers and toes themselves. And then teeth started to fall out, and even the nose and the ears. Probably not part of the message that you want to be reviewing as you eat lunch in a little bit. But that's what leprosy did, and it eventually, after a slow, agonizing, miserable experience, it would claim the person's life. And as bad as the physical torment and the misery of leprosy was, the emotional and mental pain of being completely cut off and isolated from every other person, that was far far worse. That's what was required. If you had leprosy, not only was it a physical death sentence, but you already felt dead and were treated as one who was dead by everybody else, including your own family. You were totally cut off from every other living person. Leviticus 13, 45-46 gives us a little snapshot of that. The Levitical law required this said that the person who has a case of serious skin disease, that's leprosy, is to have his clothes torn and his hair hanging loose, and he must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. He will remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. And most people had the disease until it claimed their life. There was almost no recovery. I mean, it happened occasionally, rarely, but just about... All the time, it claimed their life. He must live alone, the Levitical 
requirement said. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. So he would become an outsider. Didn't matter who it was. No exception. Cut off, isolated, separated, and viewed as one completely unclean and unapproachable. People with leprosy were were feared far more than they were pitied. They were beyond healing, physical, human healing. They were beyond help, and they were beyond hope. They were basically like a character on The Walking Dead show. Not that I am in any way recommending that. Just pointing out as a reference, they were the living dead of society, of culture. And leprosy was certainly, as you're seeing just a little, little glimpse of, a horrific disease. Terrible. But it's also a great picture of the spiritual sickness of sin. It's a great picture of that. The man with leprosy and what he said to Jesus as he encountered him teaches us today some really important things that we see in just verse 40. Verse 40 says, Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Right there in that verse, in that statement, we see some really significant things that we need to grab onto and take heart and learn from. First thing is this. Just like leprosy, sin always separates. Sin always separates. Sin separates us first and most terribly from God. Our sin completely separates us from God, from fellowship with Him, from a relationship with Him. He is completely holy. He cannot entertain even for a second the presence of sin. He can't be around it at all. He is the total opposite of sin. He's complete righteousness. And so sin separates. It puts up a huge wall between us and God. And that started at the very beginning. When Adam and Eve chose sin over Him, when they rebelled against Him, sin entered into their life and sin erected a huge wall between them and their Creator. Back in the Genesis account, we're told that God came as was His custom in the cool of the day to walk with Adam and Eve. Think about that. God coming with a a standing appointment every day to walk and commune and fellowship with our first parents, Adam and Eve. But this time, this day, after the forbidden fruit, He came and they were hiding. And He called out to them, Where are you? We hid. Why did you hide? Because we ate of the forbidden fruit that we were commanded not to. And from that point on, isolation, separation between us and God. And not just, not just in that vertical relationship. But sin always separates us from one another as well. Sin doesn't just isolate us from God. It isolates us from one another. It affects and damages and alienates our relationship with one another. Sin always separates, just like leprosy did. 
The other thing that we see here in this man, this leprous individual, is that people have to admit they are broken before they can be made whole. This man who who was separated and isolated from everyone else, he had to admit and acknowledge that he was hopelessly, helplessly broken in himself and that nobody else could do anything about that. Nobody else could change his circumstance except one. And that's the one he came on his knees before begging for him to do something about his situation. He had to acknowledge that he needed Jesus before he could receive the remedy that Jesus was going to provide. And that's exactly what is true for all of us. All of us have to come to the point where we admit we are completely broken. There's not anything good in us, naturally. Humanly speaking, we're not born basically good, we're born basically dead. And nobody else, not us, not our well-meaning loved one, not those who have found remedy for themselves, they can't give that to us. They can't do anything to change our situation. There's one and only one who can, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to admit that we are broken before Him and that He alone can make us whole. They have to admit they are broken before they can be made whole, and that is true of every single person. And we see that here in this this pitiful man on his knees begging Jesus, "I, I need you. I need what you alone can do. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Brokenness. Desperate need. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, O God. Brokenness. Realizing your situation. Realizing your need. God will never ever turn away from that. But He will also never respond to the opposite of that. Arrogance. Pride. Conceit. Self-reliance. A broken spirit you will not despise. A broken and humbled heart, O God. And we see that on display vividly, beautifully in this man with leprosy. The other thing that we see right here in verse 40 in this opening line of this encounter, another very, very important thing for us to believe and apply to our lives to keep coming back to is this. Biblical faith This man had faith. He expressed faith, sincere and true faith. But we need to understand biblical faith is believing that God is able to change our circumstances, not that he has to. Very important. Biblical faith is believing that God is able to change our circumstances because, yes, He is. He is completely able, always able. He alone is able to do that. But friend, listen, everybody listen. Don't ever make the very dangerous mistake of believing that He has to do it. That He must. Contrary to the philosophy that is so prevalent in Christianity... 
God is not obligated to do anything at all. There is this very popular philosophy. It's not new. It's been around for a long, long time, but it's definitely not going anywhere either. It's so pervasive in general Christianity, and that's that if we have sincere faith, if we have enough faith, and it's sincere, then God must respond to that faith. He's, he's obligated to. You know, if, if I want something bad enough, it's a, a significant want or even a need, and, and I just believe with every fiber in my being that God will do this thing, or, or that he, he will not do the thing that I'm not wanting to happen. I, if I have enough sincere and, and powerful faith, then that unlocks God's power and it must happen. It, it must pour down and fall down on me and on my situation. In other words, the philosophy that is so prevalent is a lot of demanding and commanding as opposed to believing God is sovereign and submitting to His sovereignty. But church, oh, church, God is not a genie, and He is not Santa Claus. He is our sovereign King, and He's our perfect Father. And as a perfect Father, He knows what we truly need. And as a perfect Father, a loving Father, He will withhold things from us that we may want really, really badly, but in His perfect, sovereign goodness, He knows that's not what we need and it wouldn't be ultimately good for us. Or, it doesn't accomplish His perfect purpose in and through our lives, in and through our circumstances. This man had it right. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That right there preaches a whole lot. I mean, this man... He knew he was broken. He knew he needed to be made whole. He knew Jesus alone could do that. He acknowledged his need. He believed with all of his faith that Jesus could do it. But he did not make that dangerous mistake of saying, you must. I believe you can, and because I believe you can, you must do this. You have to. No, he said, if you are willing. If you are willing. You can make me clean. And that, that is biblical faith. Biblical faith is full of humility, not entitlement. And that's a, a very clear line that we cannot ever cross. Make sure you don't ever cross from believing over into arrogance. Well, as with all the other encounters we've looked at in this series, we are also shown some very significant truths about Jesus Himself. We're not just shown truths about sin. We're shown truths about the Savior. And we see in this encounter, like so many of the other ones that we've seen, we, we see this clear, beautiful picture of the Gospel. Let's look at verses 41 and 42 together. Verse 41, Moved with compassion. So in response to this man coming on his knees in humility with all sincerity and faith, begging Jesus 
to heal him, but, but also acknowledging his sovereignty and saying, if you will, if you're willing, the response of Jesus to that is that he was moved with compassion. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you glad for that? The ESV says moved with pity. It's another good word. Moved with compassion, moved with pity. Side note, if you have an NIV, that translation says moved with indignation. That's not a good translation at all of the word there, and I won't get into all that. That's another, another time, um, but compassion or pity, that's a much, much better, more accurate translation of what actually happened here and the word that was, was properly used. So moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing. Oh, praise God. Praise Jesus for that. He said, I am willing. Be made clean. Immediately. It's another great word. Immediately. It wasn't like, okay, this this process has started and in about a month you should start to see a little bit of change. Give it time. No, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And this just points so wonderfully to Jesus. And it shows us this. Us today. Shows us this. Sin is an all-consuming sickness. Incurable by man, just like leprosy was. Leprosy was incurable by, by every man. No matter how good someone might have been at practicing medicine and healing other sickness, Leprosy was something that was never healed by anybody. That's what made it so horrible and what made the healing that Jesus did so significant. And like that, sin is an all-consuming sickness incurable by man, but, but Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior, able to cure anyone that comes to Him. There is no sin sickness that you and I have and carry that Jesus can't cure. No one is beyond his curing, healing reach. Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. 2 Corinthians 5.17, familiar to most of you, I'm sure, says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, no matter how bad and powerful that old might be, the old has passed away and see, the new has come. And that's immediate. It's immediate and it's constant. Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior, able to cure anyone that comes to Him. Verses 43 through 44. Let's look at that next in this encounter. So He heals this man immediately, astoundingly, Verse 43, then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. That's striking, isn't it? I mean, He heals this man in just miraculous fashion. Nobody else could have done that. 
But in, in a pretty big contrast to the man that we just talked about last week, the man possessed by legion, who wanted to stay with Jesus and follow him and go with him and begged to go with him, Jesus told him, you can't come with me. Instead, you need to go and tell everyone what you've done. What a contrast to this encounter. This encounter, he says, go but say nothing to anyone. And go and do what you're supposed to do under the Levitical law. Show yourself to the priest. Let him declare you as cleansed. Offer the sacrifice according to the law for your cleansing. I mean, that was the only instruction beyond don't tell anybody. When they ask you who made you clean, just... Why would Jesus have done that? I wouldn't have done it that way, would you? No, I'd say, yep, go shout it from the mountaintops. Tell everybody who it was. Point them to me. I mean, that would have been my plan. So, I mean, to our way of thinking, it, it would seem that Jesus would want everyone to know about this miracle. So, why didn't he tell him to go and proclaim it? I think it's because of this. I think this is the reason. I want to suggest to you that the reason Jesus told him to be silent about this and and keep it to himself is because Jesus wanted people to focus on the message he proclaimed, not the miracles he performed. The miracles were meant to validate the message. Jesus didn't want people to see him as some magician. He wanted them to believe in him as the Messiah. That was his point. That was his purpose. And all those miracles, they were meant to point people to him. They were meant to point people to the message that he proclaimed. They were meant to be this picture the picture of what sin does to all of us, the physical ailment that Jesus cleansed, whether it was leprosy or blindness or deafness or being mute or or whatever it was, that physical healing was meant to be a picture of the spiritual and eternal healing that they desperately needed far more than any physical healing. And it was meant to point to Jesus as the only one who could ever heal our real need, our ultimate need. I think that's why Jesus said, no, don't, don't go tell anyone about this. Same reason that previous to this, in his, this is all in his early ministry, previous to this, that's why he at first resisted Mary at the wedding of Cana. When she said, hey, I know what you, you can do something about this, Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm your mother. I know what you can do. You need to go do something about this. And he said, at first, it's not my time yet. I'm not ready to be public with, with all that I'm, I'm here to do. You see, Jesus, of course, knew the massive publicity that would have resulted from this never-before-seen miracle. I mean, no one ever was able to heal leprosy. It just hadn't happened. And so he knew all about that, that publicity, the hysteria that would have resulted from this never-before-seen miracle. And he knew that it could hinder his mission rather than help it. He knew that it could 
divert attention away from his message. And, and as we will see next, that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what took place, which is why he, again, to our amazement, and his too, I'm sure, why he said, don't tell anybody. Look at verse 45. So he received that instruction, don't tell anyone, go show yourself to the priest, keeping in line with the law. Verse 45, yet... He, the healed man, went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news. That right there, I mean, we, we would applaud. We'd say, yeah, absolutely, that was a good thing. This man just, he wanted to give glory to Jesus. He wanted people to know what Jesus did. That's a good thing, right? Look, look what the rest of this verse says. With the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in deserted places. And they came to him from everywhere. So, I mean, Jesus was mobbed. He couldn't even enter a town openly. Which put a, even if a small, but an undeniable hindrance to his work. He couldn't enter a town openly. He couldn't go to people as one-on-one as he had been doing or, or desired. He couldn't be as personal in his ministry at this point right here. So it did hinder. I, I didn't say it made it impossible because, I mean, Jesus is, after all, fully God while being fully man. So he's going to get his mission across and he's going to accomplish his purpose, of course. But it still would have been a hindrance it still would have been a distraction from his main message and his primary purpose, which was not to do healings, but rather to proclaim himself as the Messiah. And what that shows us, what this teaches us, it's something that is very important for all of us to learn and to remember and to apply every day of our lives, and that's this. A good thing becomes a bad thing when it goes against what God commands. A good thing becomes a bad thing when it goes against what God commands. A good parallel example of this concept is found in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 15. And I'm not going to turn there, and and I wouldn't ask you to right now. Maybe use that as a, a personal Bible study for your own, uh, your own time later. It would be a good one. But in 1 Samuel 15, King Saul was told to go and wipe out all the Amalekites, all of them, men, women, children, animals, burn all the spoil, put the king to death, let nothing remain. God clearly commanded Saul, I want you to annihilate the Amalekites. So he fought against the Amalekites, and he did put a lot of people to death. And he did burn a lot of things. But First Samuel 15 tells us that he only destroyed the things that weren't that great. He destroyed the things that weren't the best. The best of the possessions, the best of the spoil, he kept. He kept the best cattle. He kept the best clothing. He kept the shiniest most significant amounts of money. He also took King Agag alive as a prisoner. And so 
God tells Samuel, Saul has not done what I commanded. He has rebelled. He has disobeyed. And I want you to go and I want you to confront him about it. So Samuel goes, and here's Saul and his soldiers and everybody, and they're, they're celebrating. I mean, they're throwing a party. God has been victorious. We've overcome, and we've gotten all this spoil. Look at how good we did. And Samuel said to Saul, what were you thinking? Why have you done this? Why have you kept all this cattle? Why do I hear the sound of, of animals, and, and why... Why did you keep Agag alive? And Saul says, well, I was doing all this to give all of this to God. I wanted all these animals to be given in sacrifice to the Lord God. I wanted Agag to be kept and handed over to God and shown and paraded as as a testimony, as a living example of how God can overcome all of our enemies and there's no one greater than him. Isn't that good, Samuel? And Samuel said, not even close. said, has God not said, I desire obedience more than sacrifice? And he says, rebellion is just as bad as witchcraft. Stubbornness is like idolatry. Basically, a good thing becomes a bad thing when it goes against what God commands. We can have all the good intentions in the world. But if we deviate from God's perfect plan or timing or His agenda, then our good intentions fall flat on the floor. Because God desires total obedience more than good intentions. Or sacrifice even. And that's what this healed man failed to grasp. And so just as we can learn the really good things from his encounter with Christ and from how he approached him and what he said, we also can learn something from that error in judgment that he made. Because he meant well, but it wasn't what Jesus told him to do. It wasn't what was commanded of him. So all that together, let's just wrap all that up. How can we make this encounter applicable to us? What do we need to glean from this and and take and put into action in our own life? I want to suggest to you these action points, if you will, these, these areas of specific application as we wrap up together. Just like the leper, we are all, every one of us, saturated, saturated by the sickness of sin. And we all desperately need the remedy that only Jesus can provide. And it's not just a one-and-done thing. We are completely made right with God at the moment of our salvation. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. But we're also still in this skin. Skin that is so apt to return to sin. And so the cleansing that we have received, it's a once-for-all cleansing, but the key is for all. So that one-time salvation we receive is meant to also be a perpetual cleansing because we perpetually need cleansing from the sin that we so foolishly return back to. Amen? 
1 John 1, 8-9 says this, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. By contrast, look at the contrast, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to what? You tell me. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the perpetual cleansing that we need. Here's another action point, point of application. Just like the leper, we need to come to Jesus in humility. Never ever in a demanding or arrogant way. Because the only thing that God should do for all of us is pour out His wrath, pour out His judgment. That's what we all do deserve and should get. So, I mean, from that point on, the, the point of salvation of not getting God's wrath and His judgment on us and getting His mercy and grace and favor and love and adoption instead. I mean, from that point on, everything is golden, right? There, there is not one thing that we could say to God, you owe me, because we didn't get what we were owed. So, I mean, that takes demanding of God for anything totally off the table. That takes arrogance totally off. We should never, ever come to Jesus in that way, only in humility. And then my final point of of application for all of us is this. This is, again, what we learn from the leper. We need to proclaim the message about Jesus. Absolutely. We need to go and say, hey, I found one that made me clean. The the terminal disease of my soul that no one could ever take away from me. I found one who did it. He cured me. He made me right. He made me whole forever. Let me take you to Him. Yes, we need to proclaim the message about Jesus, but we need to do it His way, not our way. His way in His timing, and according to His agenda. Unlike the well-intentioned leper, we need to submit fully to God's perfect plan, His perfect timing. And we need to always match our agenda with His agenda. He's made it very clear what He wants for us to do, how He wants us to do it. It's all found in His Word, His revelation, We need to know it. We need to apply it. We need to live by it, even when it's not the way we would do it or desire to. Very important. Have you been cleansed of your leprosy of sin this morning? If so, praise God for it. Praise Him for it. He didn't have to do that. He did it all by love and at the cost of His Son, taking on our sin, our leprosy, if you will, on Himself. If you, haven't, if you haven't come to Jesus acknowledging your need of Him, saying, I know I need you, I know I'm broken, and you're the only one who can make me whole, you're the only one who can make me right. If you've not done that today, then today is your day to do that. Right now, as we pray in just a second, it's your chance to go to Him, the one who healed this leper, and say to Him, Jesus, heal the leprosy of my sin. You're the only one who can.
You're the only one who can make me well and whole. And I ask you to do that now. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Once again, it is just so relevant for our lives. As far removed as we are from this encounter that took place thousands of years ago, as far as we are removed, thankfully, from this horrible plague of a disease, what this man experienced and what he experienced from his encounter with your son can be applied to our lives right here where we are. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for taking this word, this truth, and applying it to the hearts and the minds and the lives of everyone that's here today. Thank you that you will continue to take what we have read and heard and seen together today. You'll continue to be at work with that. You'll continue to apply it to every heart, every mind, every life. I thank you for that. And I thank you most of all, Father, for the gift of true and eternal healing through the person and the work of your Son, Jesus. And I pray if there is anyone who has not yet acknowledged their need of him and come to him with that need, receiving the remedy that he provides, I pray that today, right now in these moments, would be the time that they do. We'll praise you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.